everyone, welcome to church. We're glad that you can log online and join us as we uh, do church in a fresh way this weekend, not necessarily by choice, but because of uh, circumstances out of our control with the coronavirus. But we actually expect God to, to turn this and flip it and use it in a powerful way. Oftentimes the early church uh, had to meet in smaller groups. They didn't have buildings. Uh, the church was never meant to be a location. And so we're going to experience that together as the spirit moves amongst all of us in every location, every home we're in this weekend. We're going to start off with some worship together. Um, and uh, so worship will be different with you in your home. Maybe you're by yourself or uh, maybe you're with a group of people. Uh, but we're going to worship together in every location. And then our uh, campus pastors are going to host a service with some announcements. And then Becky Fitch has a fantastic message for us today. So we're glad that you can join us. Uh, welcome to Cornerstone. We're so glad you're here with us. Uh, such a cool moment to be able to share with all of our worship leaders from each campus. Uh, this is a really creative, unique expression, extremely valuable, where we, we gather in our different spaces and spend a moment just saying, you know what, there's a lot of chaos in this world, a lot of questions, but the one thing that we don't question, God, is you and your faithfulness. And so we're going to step into that moment now together. Let's worship.
now more than ever, we're so aware that your presence is always with us. As we gather in houses, as we sit with our friends, maybe we're by ourselves watching on a computer, you are with us. The power of your Holy Spirit is always leading us, always with us, always there for us. You are our hope, you are our constant comfort in the middle of whatever is going on. We choose to trust you today. We choose to rely on you today. And we pray for your leadership now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, everyone. My name is Steve Ingold, and I'm the Livermore Campus Pastor. Yeah, hello. I'm Clint Rutledge. I'm a campus pastor at our Brentwood location. And hey, welcome to Church Online at Cornerstone. And especially if this is your first time joining us, man, we are so pumped that you tuned in today. Yeah, it's actually really cool that we get to gather together on all of our campuses, or not really on all of our campuses, but through online, but that all of our campuses actually get to be together. We don't get an opportunity to do this ever. And so Livermore, Brentwood, Hayward, Walnut Creek, Danville, our brothers and sisters in the incarcerated church, CF Online, those of you that are normally online, we are all together right now, 5 o'clock Saturday night, and it is awesome to be with you guys. Uh, if you're watching online through a, a browser, you're not with a bunch of people, go ahead and jump on live.cornerstoneweb.org and you can get into the chat there. And if you are with a bunch of people, you can still go to that to that address and you can join the chat through your through your mobile device and we would love to say hello to you right after we get done hosting and and just see how you're doing. So, thanks so much for joining us and for being with us all together here on Church Online. So, Clint, we got a we got a lot going on right now. How how are you guys doing? How's your family doing? Yeah. You guys got enough groceries and everything? Yeah, thanks for checking in. Steve. Yeah, that's I appreciate usually, that's that. That's usually my goal with you. Uh, we are doing well. We are well prepared, thanks to my amazing wife, who spent about four hours this morning in line at the grocery store. But we stocked up. We got our toilet paper. We got our water. We got our ramen. We got our cereal. Our coffee. I think we are ready to go. How about you? Uh, we've done zero shopping. So oh. so there's that. We've done none of those things. And so when we run out of food, inevitably, we are coming to your house. Don't hey, worry. We'll yeah. be there soon. I got a pack of ramen with your name on it. Uh, okay. We will, we will be there. But I need more than ramen. So I'll give you water. Okay. <laughs> we'll party at the Rutledges, guys. Um, but in all Come on over. <laughs> in all seriousness, we know that this is a troubling time. There's a lot of anxiety and angst around what's going on and, and really just a lot of unknown. There's a lot of uncertainty. And so we wanted to do what we know to do, the only thing we know to do when adversity hits, and that is to run to God. And so Clint and I both wanted to spend a moment praying for our church and praying for us. And so I'm going to start by reading a letter that I, I grabbed from the Red Letter Christians in the UK. And Clint, after that, would you mind praying for our church when I get done? Absolutely. All right, well, let's pray. May we who are merely inconvenienced remember those whose lives are at stake. May we who have no risk factors remember those most vulnerable. May we who have the luxury of working from home remember those who must choose between preserving their health or making their rent. May we who have the flexibility to care for our children when their schools close Remember those who have no options. May we who have to cancel our trips remember those that have no safe place to go. May we who are losing our margin money in the tumult of the economic market 
Remember those who have no margin at all. May we who settle in for a quarantine at home remember those who have no home. As fear grips our country, let us choose love. During this time when we cannot physically wrap our arms around each other, let us yet find ways to be the loving embrace of God to our neighbors. Amen. And dear God, I, I, I pray especially right now for our church, for our communities across the East Bay, and even for our world as we're faced with uh, something so unique, so challenging, um, as chaos abounds and uncertainty just floods our minds and our thoughts and, and our news waves, God, um, we know that we can cling to you. And we thank you that in times of, of uncertainty, you are certain. You are our provider. You are in control. You are sovereign. And we thank you for that truth. And as Christians, we cling to you. You're the anchor for our soul through every storm, God. And so we thank you that we have hope in Jesus, that no matter what happens, eternal life is right with us. And we thank you for your son. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your resurrection. And, and it's in that perspective that we stay hopeful in times like this. And God, I pray right now, especially for uh, our medical workers and, and people that are, are going out to work this week, God, I ask that you would keep them healthy, keep them strong, keep them safe. I pray for the, the vulnerable, the, the elderly, the, those that are, that are young, uh, that may have pre-existing conditions, God, that you would keep them safe. You'd wrap your arms around them as well. God, I thank you that even, even though the, our church buildings are closed, that our church is still open, that we can still gather in homes across the East Bay and fellowship and worship you and, 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 and run to you during this time. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would just come alive in us and bring us hope, and bring us healing, and bring us strength and courage. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, right now we're going to go into our time of giving, and we obviously aren't going to have any ushers come to your homes or whether, wherever you're gathering right now, but we are going to move forward with our giving through a platform that we've had around this church for a while, and that's through giving online. And if you're in the chat right now, you can just click on the banner that just popped up, and, and head on over to that. And if you're just trying to figure out how to do this or where to go, open a new tab in your browser and go to cornerstoneweb.org slash give. And the process to give online is so easy, and it's, it's really a, a, a very simple process to go through. And, and I encourage you to do this because the truth of the matter is that right now we know that in this season more people are going to be depending on our church for help than we've probably ever experienced before. And we want to be able to be that church that gives and sacrifices for those who need it. And we want to help as many people as we possibly can. And so we need you to be generous to give to your church so that we can continue to be what God intends us to be. We know that he'll provide what he needs us, uh, what, what we need, because that's who God is. But we also know that he's going to use all of us together to be generous in order to, to fulfill his mission for the East Bay. And so we want to see the ministries that we do continue to move forward, and we want to be able to help, like I said, as many people as we can. And the cool thing is that this is something that has marked the church since the beginning, for, for 2,000 years, even back to the first in-century ch uh, church. They were marked by generosity, even though they were being persecuted, tortured, tormented, killed, 
the one of the things that people consistently said about the early church is that these followers of the way, the followers of Jesus, are so generous, and they have no reason to be other than the fact that maybe they worship a God that is above all and in all and through all, and that is the same God that we worship today in 2020. So let's move forward with our generosity. Yeah, and as you're uh, clicking on that link and exploring that generosity option, I want to encourage us just in one final way uh, to, to remain connected uh, with each other throughout these next few weeks. As our schools are closing, as many offices are closing and, and businesses and, and just bigger corporations and gatherings, uh, the, the temptation might be to, to isolate ourselves. And I, I just want to encourage you as Christians and as even if you're not a Christian, uh, reach out and, and make sure you have community during this time because you're going to have to find it. It's not going to find you. And so uh, do that. We might have to get creative. We might have to uh, find community on social media or through text messaging or phone calls or, or, or knock on our neighbor's door. If you need help finding community, man, uh, contact us. Uh, let us know. We would love to reach out to you, even if it's just a phone conversation. Let's not remain isolated over this next uh, couple weeks as we're, we're dealing with this. Um, also, uh, w one more thing. Uh, let's be the church that reaches out to the vulnerable. This is kind of close to my heart. Uh, let's be the church that reaches out uh, to those that are most vulnerable during this time. Um, if you know someone in your community that has a pre-existing health condition or is an elderly uh, person, man, reach out to them and ask if you can run an errand for them, if you could do something for them on their behalf. And let's, let's have Cornerstone Fellowship be the church that just reaches out and helps people that need help right now. And I think that would be an amazing way to be the church uh, yeah, during this time. It's so cool that we get an opportunity to be the church like that and, and just another form of generosity that we get to be known for. So we're going to continue our series tonight in the going through the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, and Pastor Becky Fitch is here as thousands of us are gathered together right now online to hear the message that God has, has prepared for, for our church. We love you guys so much. So good to, to be with you today. Thanks for joining. What an incredible privilege we have today to uh, be able to still gather all together as one church, even though we aren't physically all together. Man, that is such a privilege I don't take lightly. Uh, whether you are joining us today from home or from work or another venue altogether, whether you are by yourself or with your family or a small group of other people I'm so glad that you are joining in today, and I want to encourage you uh, to engage with one another through the chat feature on Church Online. Uh, let people know that you're here, uh, and let them know the things uh, that are impacting you throughout the sermon. Uh, share encouragement, share prayer requests, because something that has been true of Cornerstone from the very beginning of our time, from the first day we became a church, is that we are a group of people who don't just go to church. We don't just do church. No, we are the church. 
And so let's continue to be that for one another and for everyone around us. All right, you ready to dive in? Grab your Bible, open your Bible app, and find Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I believe the words that the Apostle Paul uh, wrote to this church in Philippi nearly 2,000 years ago now, uh, that these words are going to speak to us and challenge us and encourage us today as well. So let's read those words together right now. We're going to begin in verse 12. Paul writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation." Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Man, this passage that Paul uh, writes, it is packed full with so much depth and meaning. And and we're going to unpack as much of it as we can today. But the very first thing we have to realize is that we are stepping into a flow of thought. Right? What we just read uh, in our Bibles with verse 12, uh, it begins a new section, right? Sometimes many of our Bibles even have a title for that section. But when Paul originally wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, it was just that, a letter, right? There, there weren't chapters and verses then that sectioned uh, it up. No, those were added later to help us be able to navigate and read our Bibles more easily. And although those are helpful, we can't let uh, the fact that verse 12 is the beginning of a new section, we can't let that fact distract us from the reality uh, that this passage continues a flow of thought that began in the verses preceding it. You see, in verse 11, Paul says a jaw-dropping, explosive, bombshell of a statement. You may remember from previous weeks that the city of Philippi is a Roman colony, right? So this is a place that has a high allegiance to the Roman emperor, to Caesar. And it was common for people uh, to refer to Caesar as Lord. He's the authority. He's in control of all. This is why Paul's words in verse 11 are so important because it's here that Paul makes the bold claim that it's not Caesar who is Lord, but that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the authority. It is Jesus who is above all and in all and in control of all. Jesus is Lord. Church, if you remember nothing else from today's sermon. I mean, I hope you remember more from today's sermon, but it's been a crazy week. I understand. If you remember nothing else, I mean, I hope we remember those four powerful words. Jesus Christ is Lord. There could be no more fitting of a time 
to cling to that important truth when our world is overwhelmed with uncertainty, when fear and anxiety are high, when disunity and arguing are rampant. May we, followers of Jesus Christ, remember that we serve a God who is in all and over all and in control of all. Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's off of this critical, powerful statement that Paul then says, therefore, therefore, which can be translated as a result of, as a result of the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord, my dear friends. And then Paul goes on and he gives the Philippians a command. Look back at verse 12. He says, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul says, hey, when I was with you, you were brand new to Jesus. Man, you were infants in the faith, but you learned how to obey. And, and now I'm long gone. Like it's been years. I'm hundreds of miles away. I'm in Rome. I'm in prison. And you, you're all grown up. You've matured in the faith. You've moved out of the house. You're an adult now, and you're still obeying. Man, isn't that, isn't that every parent's dream for their child? You want them to grow up and to continue to make the right choices, to continue to live out the values that you instilled in them, even when you're no longer around them to enforce the rules all the time. And so Paul, he has this sort of proud parent moment, and then he tells the Philippians, so continue meaning don't stop. Keep it up. Keep going. You always obeyed when I was present with you. Y even in my absence, you have obeyed. So now continue. And if you're there, right, you're uh, a part of the Philippian church, you're hearing this letter read to you for the very first time, you would immediately think that Paul's next words would be, so continue to obey. Right, that would make sense. Paul's talking about obedience, right? You, you obeyed when I was with you. You obeyed now that I'm gone, so continue to obey. But that's not what he says. No, look at it. What does he say? Instead, he says continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I mean, this, this statement right there, it is one of the mis most misunderstood, misinterpreted uh, verses in all of scripture. It's a loaded sentence. And so we're going to kind of pull it apart uh, piece by piece, one phrase at a time, but it's important to realize that Paul is using this phrase synonymously with the word obedience. Obedience is, is equal to, it's synonymous to working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And those words, work out, in the Greek it means uh, to go at it with energy, with drive, with intensity. It's an active engagement in what God is doing in our lives. It's the opposite of passivity. I think sometimes people make the decision to follow Jesus, right? They, they begin to identify themselves as a Christian, but in reality not much of their life changes, right? Their life doesn't look that different than before they identified as a follower of Jesus. 
You know, I'm just going to keep doing what I've always done. I'm going to keep going where I've always gone. I'll, I'll keep uh, thinking and, and talking and acting the same way I always have. But that's not how it should be. Following Jesus, it's not a passive decision we make. No, Paul says we have an active part to play in this. We're to work it out, what God has worked in. Paul says we, we are, are to show outwardly the change that God has done inwardly. Here's a question that I'd like us all to ask ourselves right now. How has my life drastically changed as a result of knowing Jesus? Like, can you actually answer that? I'm not talking about things like, well, now I go to church or now I pray every day. No, I'm talking about, has Jesus changed you in drastic ways? Has he changed how you think about things, how you process through things? Has he changed the way that you talk about things? Has he changed the way that you interact with people? Where before you were this way, but man, now Jesus has changed you. If the answer for you is no, or, or not really, or I don't know, not much has changed, maybe we need to ask ourselves, hey, is there something that God is asking me to work out, to live out? Is there something that God is wanting me to be obedient in, and I haven't been doing it? Maybe my life hasn't changed drastically because I'm not being a part of the process of allowing God to change me. Maybe my life hasn't changed drastically because I'm being disobedient. Paul calls us to work out your salvation. But what, is, what does Paul mean by the word salvation? Right? This is where a lot of people get hung up when it comes to this verse. Is Paul saying that salvation has to be earned? Right? We have to work it out? Is Paul minimizing grace here? Is he saying that, hey, if you strive enough, you'll eventually earn your salvation? Or even, is he alluding that the opposite is true? If I don't work hard enough, if I don't do enough, then I could possibly lose my salvation. One of the reasons so many people have a difficult time with this verse in particular is because far too many people view salvation as being this flat, reduced, one-dimensional word. When in reality, uh, like, like we diminish salvation to mean getting to go to heaven when I die. We simplify it that much. But that alone, even though that's true, that alone is, is such a small, limited understanding of what salvation actually is. You see, for Paul, salvation, it's like this wide, elastic, like panoramic word. For Paul, salvation, it's not just about you and what happens to you. No, it's about all of creation. For Paul, salvation is not just about the future and what happens when you die, but it's about the past and the present as well. Throughout his New Testament writings, uh, Paul used the word salvation in past, present, and future tense. There are times when Paul uh, would say, you were saved in the past, that there was an actual moment in time in your life when you went from spiritual death to spiritual life. Have you ever experienced that moment before? 
where you were walking in spiritual death. You were living life according to your own wants, your own desires, and, and you realized eventually that it just left you feeling hopeless. Maybe you're in that space today. But you know what? Then God, he meets us where we're at. God draws us to him and he breathes new life into us. And before that moment, we were enemies of God. We were separated from God. We were far from God. But then through the Spirit of God drawing us closer, through repentance and responding to God, we, we step into faith. We proclaim that truth that Paul proclaimed in verse 11. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I don't want to be the Lord of my life anymore. I don't want to keep living the life the way I want to. I want to live my life the way you want me to. And scripture tells us that in that moment we are saved. We are uh, made into a new creation. We are adopted into God's family. We're no longer enemies of God. We are now sons and daughters of God. You were saved. But Paul also speaks of salvation in present tense. Right now, as we speak, you are being saved. You and I are works in progress. God is not done with us yet. If you are watching this uh, with someone today, I want you to turn to them right now and tell them, thank God he's not done with you yet. If you're like me, and you're all alone right now, we can be that for one another. Thank God he's not done with you yet. Thank God for that. It's what we learn in week one of this series where Paul says in Philippians chapter one, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Man, God is at work right now. This very moment in your life, making you, shaping you, guiding you into who you were always designed and created to be. Thank God that salvation is not just a one-time moment, but it is an ongoing process of restoration. And finally, Paul uses salvation language in future tense. He says, you will be saved. And this is actually how the tense he uses salvation language in a majority of the time. In his New Testament writings, he says, hey, one day on the horizon, a time will come when what, what God is doing right now in bits and pieces to heal and to restore your soul and your mind and your heart and your relationships, one day, man, that's going to spread out to your whole being, to all of creation around you. There will be complete restoration, complete salvation. So for Paul, salvation is past, present, and future. It's all three. Perhaps we can think about it in terms of being a son or a daughter, being, being a husband or a wife, uh, maybe even being a parent. In the past, on February 16th, 2016, I became a mom to Hudson. And then again, on July 10th, 2018, I became Layton's mom. Those were distinct moments in my past, but at the same time, I am still very much presently their mom. And as the years go on, whether they like it or not, 
As long as I'm living, I will always be their mom. Every day, though, I have the opportunity to live up to what is already true of me, right? I'm, I'm already a, their mom. I'm not earning that status per se, but I am absolutely working at it. I am absolutely intentional each and every single day to live up to that title of mom that I have. Every single day is an opportunity for me to learn as a mom, to grow as a mom, to work at it, to go at it with energy and, and drive and intensity. I'm going to give it all I've got because I want to be the best mom possible for my two little boys. And church, salvation is the same way. One of the greatest theologians of our time, N.T. Wright, he comments on this theme of Philippians 12 by, by saying, working out your salvation isn't earning salvation. It's figuring out what this business of being saved means in practice. You see, as followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to figure out what this business of being saved looks like in real time, in the real world. In America, in 2020, salvation is not just something we receive, but it's something that we live out every day. But here's a critical thing we have to remember with all of this. You see, Paul, he isn't saying, hey, I need to figure out uh, what my salvation looks like in practice, and you need to figure out what yours looks like in practice. No, it's actually something greater than that. You see, in the Greek language, the phrase continue to work out. It translates as, uh, okay, you ready for this? It's a tongue twister. Here it is. Second person plural present imperative, okay? It's a second person plural present imperative. Try saying that five times fast. Actually, don't try saying that five times fast. That'll distract you. Stay focused. We're going to keep going. What that simply means is that Paul is addressing the community. He's addressing the whole church. He isn't telling believers to work out their salvation individually or in isolation. No, Paul is saying that salvation is best worked out within Christian community. It's best worked out within Christian community. You know, a lot of times people within the church will define being saved as having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And Although that is absolutely true, it's only true in part. Maybe you even heard someone say something like, you know what, my faith, it's, it's, just, it's between me and God. But the reality is, faith was never intended to be that way. Let me say that again because I don't want you to miss it. Faith was never intended to be just between you and God. If we only view it as this individual thing, we're actually missing out on this whole entire other aspect of the salvation process. This is, this is why uh, we have to realize that, man, the, the salvation that Jesus is, is working out in my life, it's connected to the salvation that he is working out in yours. The healing and the restoration that Jesus is working out in my life, it is actually interwoven with the healing and restoration that Jesus is working out in yours. 
Faith is not an individual thing. It's always best worked out in Christian community. That is why we are constantly pushing you guys, I mean encouraging you guys, to get connected in smaller community. That's precisely the reason we do community groups. We have smaller gatherings. It's the reason we do support groups and, and recovery groups. Because salvation, our obedience, it's meant to be worked out in Christian community. We actually will understand God better. We will learn how to follow after God more passionately, more diligently when we work it out, we flesh this out together. You know, there are some of us today who we have been living out our faith in isolation for far too long. Get in community. Get in community. Let's work out our salvation together. Okay, look back at verse 12. Paul tells us to continue to work out your salvation. And then he says these four words, with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Man, that's one of the phrases, if you are anything like me, you just like skip over when you're reading the Bible. You're like, I don't really want to know what that means, but I just hope it doesn't mean what it sounds like it means. Fear and trembling. It's actually a phrase that's used all over the Old Testament. And it speaks of when a man or a woman encounters the presence of the living God. It's like what the, the prophet Isaiah experienced in Isaiah chapter 6, where he says, Woe to me! I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, for I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Fear and trembling is what uh, John, the disciple of Jesus, experienced in Revelation 1 when, when he sees a vision of Jesus, the resurrected Christ. And John says, I, I fell at his feet as though dead. Fear and trembling, it's having this, this raw awareness of the, of the greatness, of the majesty of who God is. You're in his presence and you're overcome by who God is, that your response is, is awe and humility and reverence and complete awareness of who you are. God, I'm, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. It causes fear and trembling. You know, I think many Christians today, we have a difficult time with this phrasing, with, with the idea of, of, of experiencing fear and trembling in God's presence, right? We're like, no, God's only supposed to be loving, right? But I think we have a hard time with this phrasing because we only view fear as a bad thing. But that's actually not always the case, right? Sometimes fear can motivate us to do the right thing in a difficult situation. Sometimes uh, fear can keep us from experiencing danger or harm. It's like this past Monday, uh, I decided to let my four-year-old Hudson come up to the stove for the first time with me and help me make Rice Krispie treats. And so before we got start started, right, I give him my stove speech, right? Never something you would imagine doing in your life, but then you become a mom and now you have a stove speech, right? The stove is hot. Don't touch anything. You could get hurt, okay? Um, only touch what mommy says you can touch. Okay, listen, are you looking at me? I need eye contact. Do you get what I'm saying, right? Okay, good, awesome. And so we begin. 
right? And we melt the butter, we melt the marshmallows, and then I remove the pan from the heat so I can add the Rice Krispie treats. And what is the very first thing that Hudson does? Man, he touches the freaking stove. I'm like, I just told you, don't touch the stove. What are you thinking? Like, and so chaos ensues. He's screaming at the top of his lungs in pain. I'm running him over the, the kitchen sink and, you know, turning on the faucet and getting his hand under the water. And he did it with all four fingers. Man, poor kids had like band-aids on his hands all week. And he gets so much empathy for, oh, I blew my hand. Like he's been doing that all week. He's been soaking it up. But man, as hard as that is, as a mom, to watch my son go through pain like that, I know he's never going to do that again. Why? Because the fear of getting burned, again, it will forever keep him from touching a hot stove. See, the problem is not fear itself, but the fact that oftentimes we are just fearing the wrong things. We fear not having enough money. We fear unemployment. We fear getting sick, being rejected. We fear death. What better example of fearing the wrong things than these past few weeks? There's this overwhelming fear in our society today of running out of toilet paper. Now, in all seriousness, right? Like, the fear is not actually of running out of toilet paper, right? No, it's a fear of losing control. That's why we got to stock up on TP. It's a fear of losing control. Well, what, what if this happens? What, what, if, what if that happens? What if we run out of this? What if I'm unable to do that? Fear is only bad if we're afraid of the wrong things. So what we have to ask ourselves is, what do I fear most? What do I fear most more than anything? Maybe the past few days you've been thinking about fear because of this coronavirus more than any other time in your life. What do I fear most, right? What does fear cause us to do? It, it causes us to focus on that thing, to think about that thing. It, it dictates our, our thoughts and, and it, it even influences our actions. It may seem weird or odd, the thought of like fearing and trembling at God. But the reality is when we fear God, right, think about it. When, when we fear God, that means we're looking to God. We're focused on God. When it's God who consumes our thoughts and drives our words and dictates our actions, that is a good thing. When we fear God, we have nothing else to fear. Because remember, right, verse 11, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's in all and above all. Here's why it's so important to fear God. Because every other fear that we can experience in this life, it's based on the grounds of a threat. Right, Hudson fears the stove because it threatens to burn him. We fear unemployment because it threatens our confidence, our ability to provide for ourselves or our families. We fear sickness or disease because it threatens our life. It threatens our ability to be in control and live life the way that we want. Most of our fears are based on the grounds of a threat. However, the grounds for fearing God are not a threat. 
God does not say like, hey, work out your salvation with fear and trembling or else I'll destroy you, right? I'm going to bring down the lightning bolt. You're going to be damned if you don't do that. No, the ground for fear and trembling is not a threat, but a promise. It's not a threat, but a promise. This is why we can't read Philippians 2.12 without also reading Philippians 2.13. What is that promise? Look at verse 13. Paul says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It is God who works in you. And this word works, it's actually a different Greek word than the one we just read in verse 12, right? Where it said, work out your salvation, right? That word was, was like, go at it with drive and intensity. But this here, the word works, it's actually the Greek word uh, energio. And it means to put forth power, to put forth power. It's where we get our English word energy from. It's the same word that Paul uses elsewhere in the New Testament when he's talking about spiritual gifts. And, and he says that the Holy Spirit of God, he is who empowers these gifts in us or works these gifts in us. Paul believes that God is the power, God is the energy at work in you. Think about that promise for a minute. That the same creative energy of God that spoke the universe into existence is at work within you. That same exact divine power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work deep within your being. Oh, what an incredible promise to hold on to. I want to illustrate it like this. Oh, hold on. Safety first, right? For all you OSHA types, right? I'm doing it. Although, is it actually safer if now I can't see? I don't know. I'm just kidding. I can see. It's far away. I can't see. Up close is fine. And if it's not fine, this is going to be a fantastic experience for church online because your pastor is going to chop their finger off. So it'll be great. Uh, anyways, let's say that this saw represents our salvation, okay? Uh, it's something that God has given to us freely. We didn't have to pay for it. We didn't have to earn it. We don't have to pay him back for it. This is a used saw. God would probably give us a new saw, okay? But this represents our salvation. And our job, though, is to work it out, right? To figure it out. Our, our job is to read the instruction manual, to learn how to use this thing, how it works, how to power it. We don't just let it sit on the shelf then, but we actually use it. We put it into practice. But when Paul says, hey, work out your salvation with fear and with trembling, uh, he's not saying, you know, just like, yeah, just like go at it and, and work it out and try to make it happen. Work out your salvation. Get it done. It's all up to you. Like even if you get tired, even if you're frustrated, you're exhausted, you don't even know what you're doing, you have doubts, you have questions, like just keep going. You got to figure it out. No, that's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. When Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's saying, be grounded 
and the promise that it is God who is working in you. Like God is our source of power, not our own striving and effort. God, the creator of the universe, he's our source of power. Our job, right? Our job is to connect to the power source. Our part in this process is to allow God's energy, to allow God's power to flow through us. Ooh, here we go. Ready? Pray for me. I'm just kidding. got all the way through. I better stop though. I'm going to hurt myself. That's our job. So when Paul says, hey, work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Man, there's going to be sawdust on those the rest of the time. For it is God who works in us. He's saying, hey, it's this sober realization that God lives in me. He's my source of power. I mean, that should cause me some fear and trembling, right? This is a big deal. This is serious business. There's a lot of power at my fingertips. I can't go at this half-heartedly or with passivity no, think of the damage that could be caused. Think of the harm that I could inflict on myself or on other people. So I have to be committed to working out my salvation with fear and with trembling, with a full awareness of the mag magnitude and majesty of who God is, and a full awareness, a humble awareness of who I am. You know, but there's also... This other side to fear and trembling. Isn't it true that we also experience fear and trembling like right when we're on the brink of something new and exciting and exhilarating, something that's life-giving, right? Isn't it true we experience fear and trembling when we're on that upward climb, that slow climb before we go over the, the tip of that roller coaster we've never been on before. Isn't it true we experience fear and trembling whenever we're starting at a new school or we're beginning our dream job or, or we're witnessing a baby being born? Working out our salvation with fear and trembling, it brings us to this place of soberness and humility, but it also brings us to this place of eager expectation and hope. Oh, what a cool thing to think that we can have this eager expectation and hope in the things that God wants to do in us and through us for the beauty and impact that he wants to empower me to create in the world around me. That, that is more incredible, more thrilling, more life-giving than anything I could have ever imagined for myself. 
man, I don't want salvation to just be this one moment in my past or even just to be something where I sit back and I just wait for my future. No, I want to take full advantage of this opportunity that God has given me right here, right now to live this out and make a powerful difference in the world around me. Man, that's what he offers us, church. Continue to work out your salvation. Work out your obedience with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Amen. Man, God has a good purpose for your life. And it's not just for you. It's a purpose that impacts everyone around you. I'll close with this question. How do we do this? right? Like, that all sounds great. How do we do this? How do we obey? How do we work out our salvation, not just individually, but all together in community? Well, Paul, he actually gives us uh, one example of how to do this, of, of what living this out practically could look like. Look at verse 14. Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Oh, come on, Paul. Like, surely you don't mean everything, right? Like, not everything fits into the category of no grumbling or no arguing. I mean, everyone has something to complain about in, right, in life, right? But Paul, he makes no exceptions here. How do you think Paul would word this if he were writing to us today? Isn't that kind of fun to think about? How do you think Paul would word this if you were, were writing to East Bay Christians in, in 2020? Hey, when you gather together in person or when you're forced to gather through church online, do everything without grumbling or arguing. When you work from home, or when you work from your office, or when you're forced to work from home with your kids screaming in the background, do everything without arguing or grumbling. When you engage with one another on social media, do everything without grumbling or arguing. When you disagree with one another, do everything without grumbling or arguing. When you are filled with fear and anxiety over things that are out of your control, when you are filled with disappointment and frustration, over things that are out of your control. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Who failed at that this week? Seriously, raise your hand right now. Because I know it wasn't just me. I, I failed at that this week. Aren't you glad we aren't all together right now and you're not outing yourself to the whole entire church? Man, this week I was frustrated. I'm trying to write my sermon. I, I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to share with our church while simultaneously getting pulled into all these meetings about the coronavirus and how we're going to handle it. I was frustrated because there was no way I was going to do my weekly trip to Costco with how insane that place has been. So instead, I do the online same-day delivery because I'm a genius, right? Except everyone else is a genius, and so half the stuff that I needed wasn't available. And because everyone else was doing the same thing, it wasn't same-day delivery. It was next-day delivery. Thanks, Costco. Man, think about it. Paul could have said anything 
after, after verse 12, after verse 13, he could have followed that up with anything. Why did he choose to address grumbling and arguing? Why is it so important for the church to do everything without grumbling or arguing? I believe it's because everyone grumbles and argues. Everyone has something to complain about. And most of the time, we don't even blame people because we're like, yeah, that's, that makes sense. You're complaining about that. But man, followers of Jesus, we are called to have a perspective that is greater than what everyone else does. Followers of Jesus have to choose not to grumble and not to argue, even when, and maybe especially when, our circumstances warrant those reactions. Because when we counter the reactions of the world, when we choose to behave in a different manner, when we choose a gratitude instead of grumbling, uh, when we choose to have unity instead of arguing. Paul says that we will stand out like stars among them in the sky. I mean, think of the opportunity that we have, church. Think of the potential we have right now in this moment of history. Man, for decades, the church has been losing ground in our culture. Think of the potential we have right now. Paul is such a great example for us, for what it looks like to have your life be marked, not by grumbling, not by arguing, but by peace, by joy, regardless of the circumstances you are facing. Or maybe especially when you're facing challenging circumstances. Church, let's not squander our moment to be the church to the world around us. Like, let's not become consumed with fear, but let's also not become consumed with frustration. Instead, let's shine like stars. Let's demonstrate sanity. Let's demonstrate peace. Let's demonstrate generosity and hope and joy, recognizing that our lives are not dependent on a virus. Our lives are not dependent on our government. Church, our lives are in the hands of Jesus Christ, who is Lord over all and in all. And he is in control of all. Man, may we never forget that truth. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God who is in control of all. Even when things are uncertain, even when fear and frustration are plenty, Lord, you are in control of all. May we remember that truth. And may we be a church, may we be a people who live that out, not just with our words, but with our actions. That in every situation, regardless of the circumstances, we would be a people who refuse to grumble. We refuse to argue because we have too much to hope in. 
And there is too many people around us who need that hope. And so God, I pray that you would empower us, that this week we would go to you, we would connect to that power source, and we would feel your power working in us and through us like we've never experienced before. God, give us wisdom, give us creativity to live this out practically, to be your hands and feet to the world around us today, this week. Lord, may the church set an example of who you are to the world by the way that we love others well in the midst of this uncertain time. And God, we give you all of the praise. We give you all of the glory because you are good you are loving, and you are a God who's in control. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hey, church, thanks so much for joining us together on Church Online. I want to encourage you that if you need prayer, if you want to talk to someone, reach out to one of our chat room hosts. They would love to pray with you, to talk through things with you. We're excited. Uh, that we still get to continue to meet together as a church, and we're looking forward to seeing you again right here on Church Online next week. God bless.